You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rainer Roberts. Musketeer Space, Chapter 22 The Making of Alex Charlemagne. It took six hours for Dana to find civilization, a large enough town to have a bullet train node, with the assistance of Planchet's clamshell. From there it took several hours of travel and changing connections before she reached the Duchy of Buckingham. It was surreal to be surrounded by people and white noise and all the amenities of a heavily populated planet so soon after ditching into a lake in the middle of nowhere. Athos had done a good job getting them this close to the right region before they made planetfall. If Dana thought too much about that, she might cry or hit something and break her hand, so she concentrated instead on what an idiot he was to be taking Nexus for every flight. Did Aramis and Porthos know he'd been doing that to himself? They had to know. The three of them were inseparable. Dana was the stray puppy they'd adopted. She couldn't let herself wonder too deeply about why these close friends had even bothered to let her into their tight group in the first place. On this damned bullet train, there was too much time to think. It took no effort at all to locate the Duchess of Buckingham, thanks to Planchet's app, which consolidated all gossip node references to the political, sporting, celebrity dynamo that was Buck. Buck had addressed the Elemental Separatist Union earlier in the day, signing autographs outside the Hall of Communications in the largest city of Buckingham, and then returned to her country estate, where she'd been hosting a house party all week. Dana was underdressed for the occasion, but there was no going back now. It rained again as Dana approached Villiers Manor. A light mist of water descended from the sky in a haze, leaving droplets clinging to her eyelashes and stubbled scalp. Villiers Manor was twice the size of the palace on Luna Palais. Obviously it was the way of decadent dirtsiders to sprawl across the planetary surface as if they had all the room in the world. The gravity felt better to Dana than her previous dirtside experiences and she put that down to Valor's history of being terraformed. Perhaps the planet had been designed to appeal to the needs of the spaceborn. There was nothing else about Valor that felt familiar, for a person who spent most of her life encased in metal. The scenery continued to be fresh and green. For the first time in her life, she thought she could see what the dirt side of fuss was about. The mountains surrounding Villiers Manor were grey and looming in their rocky formations, which reminded Dana of freedom except for the green fringing around every peak. A servant allowed her in through the front door, as Dana claimed to be a messenger. Her plain black flight suit was obviously not a formal raven uniform, but the servant was polite enough to not point this out. Dana hovered awkwardly in an entrance hall about the size of Marie Antoinette Plaza. Paris was home. That thought was enough to make Dana smile for a moment. 
Her face was still holding the expression when a woman dressed like a mermaid hurled herself down the staircase. Buck trailed copper, silk and sequin scales behind her in a long train that formed a tail. Her impressive bosom was clasped in two bronze seashells, picking up the highlights of her reddish-brown skin and bright golden eyes. Her hair was braided into metallic chains that fell almost to her feet. You have a message from Alec, she asked, her voice warm and inviting. Before receiving an answer, she hurled herself into Dana's arms. Dana had been unprepared for an armful of Duchess, but that wasn't nearly as off-putting as the other woman's wide-blown pupils. Georgiana Villiers, Duchess of Buckingham, was high as a kite. It's an urgent message, Dana said firmly, setting Buck on her feet before she felt it was safe to let go. Do you have a dose of sobriety handy? Something like fear flitted briefly across Buck's face. Can't do that, she said, and put a finger to her lips. Shh! Worked very hard on this chemical balance. He can't see me when I'm like this. Do you mean the prick? Dana started to say. But Buck lurched forward and pressed both of her perfumed hands across Dana's mouth. No, 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 don't say it. Walls have ears. Come on. Dana allowed herself to be dragged up a staircase that could have housed about ten musketeers and into a room that might be a library because the walls were covered with antique books from floor to ceiling. I only come in here when I'm flying, said Buck her pupils so large that there was no other colour visible in her eyes except the tiniest streak of brown. So he doesn't see. He mustn't know that I've worked out how to... She paused, unsteady on her feet. He doesn't know that I remember him when he's not here. I forget sometimes and then I come here to remember. She reached out a hand to a touch-sensitive light on the wall which illuminated the room more brightly. It keeps me from losing all the pieces, Buck whispered, and there was a tremor of fear in her voice as she looked up. Dana followed Buck's gaze and saw a single word blazing across the ceiling, spelled out in golden light from the wall panel. Winter. He got into my head, said Buck. He sees everything I see. He made me betray. Tears were bright in her eyes all of a sudden. I have to remember, or I can't fight him when he gets inside my head. He's not here now, though. Be quick. Give me the message. Hesitant, not knowing if Buck would even remember this one she'd sobered up, Dana reached down to extract the stud from her ankle. It had been burrowed there so long that it felt like part of her. She passed it over, and waited as Buck pressed it into her own wrist, and listened to the message within, her eyes closed. She swayed a little, as she all but inhaled the sound of her lover's voice. Then her eyes snapped open again. The coat! It never made any sense that I took the coat. Come on. Dana followed Buck to her private quarters. Duchesses required multiple wardrobes in which to keep their many outfits. 
every room on this floor had one or more cupboards dedicated to fancy dresses, boots, hats, trousers, jewellery, and other trinkets. So much space. So much wastage. On Paris Satellite or any other station, even the most dedicated party animal would have most of their clothes dissolved and reprinted based on the needs of the day. Why would you need to keep so many things? Dirtsiders were crazy. And wealthy, new aristocrat dirtsiders were crazier than most. Here, Buck crowed, diving into yet another room full of massive antique furniture and lush carpets that made Dana's feet feel like they were being softened up for bad news. The Duchess pulled a garment out from under her bed. A soft heap of purple silk, shot with gold, green and midnight blue. An embroidered pattern of feathers covered the silk in an intricate design. This had to be the peacock coat Conrad had made for his prince. Dana had never actually laid eyes on it before, but what else could it be? Diamonds glittered ferociously from the lapels of the coat. Dana blinked as she took them in. Prince Alec had tossed the coat away as an impulsive gift to his lover, not thinking about the value of the studs, or the danger if it turned up in the wrong place. I shouldn't have taken it, said Buck, handing it over. Of course I shouldn't. But winter was in my head, and I don't remember. She sighed deeply and sat on the bed. Her voice was steadier. I don't know why he didn't take it off me at the spaceport. You know, there are two winters, the silver and the brown. The silver lives inside my head, but the brown, he's the dangerous one. You won't even see him coming. Dana smoothed the silk between her hands. It's all right now. I'll get this back to Conrad and the prince in good time for the ball. But then she stopped and laid the coat out on the canopied bed, stretching it flat so she could count the diamond studs. Ten. There are only ten here. Buck frowned, a gleam of intelligent thought passing briefly across her glazed, drugged-up expression. No, there were twelve. Of course there were twelve, for the twelve continents of Oster. Dana wanted to shake her. Has anyone touched this coat since you left Dubois' ship? Winter. Buck moaned and slid down onto the floor. He must have taken them. He's going to use them against Alec. She buried her face in her hands. I am too high for this. Can't think straight. But if I get straight, he'll come back and he'll know. Okay, said Dana, thinking fast. She was apparently the only person in the room who could be trusted to make plans. Assuming you're right about having a spy implanted in your head, and I'm taking a lot on trust right now. Agreed, Buck said softly. If Alec wears it at the ball, with only ten diamond studs showing, it'll be a disaster, especially if your winter has passed on the other two diamonds to someone in a position of power. The Cardinal, Dana thought with a shiver. The hammers and sabres who jumped them on the Calais were working under her orders. And they weren't the only ones. Rosne Cho, that mysterious milord, perhaps more agents that she didn't even know about. Dana's brain finally caught up with her mouth. 
we need to replace the diamonds. Conrad didn't want to risk it on Unipale or Paris Satellite, but that was when he thought we might have to replace all twelve. You couldn't print diamond. It was one of the few substances that couldn't be artificially replicated, but if the Duchess was willing to bankroll them, and they had the right craftsperson, they could perhaps have a couple of studs made from scratch in the time available. Buck nodded, caressing the coat with one hand. I know an electro-jeweller in Liberté who should be able to do a thing. She waved her hand vaguely. Can I use your credit? Dana had no shame in asking. This was Buck's mess, and Dana was already doing more than enough to clean it up. Buck waved her hand again, to indicate that she didn't care. Dana cracked open her clamshell, plotting a course. The bullet train could get her to the nearby county of Liberté. It wasn't even going out of her way. From there, she could travel on to Argarin, the largest spaceport in the region. There were closer ports, but she needed a crowd to get lost in. She would miss the connection with the Calais return trip, but that was just fine with Dana, especially if she could use Buck's credit for a passage on Aventurer instead. She had no doubt that the Hammers would be well aware now of the name Dana had been travelling under with the Musketeers. Better to use a new identity and let the Calais passage stand as a false trail. Won't this winter of yours be able to see everything we've planned when you sober up? was the next thing Dana thought to ask. Hopefully Buck's plan was not to never sober up. That didn't seem sustainable. The Duchess reached for her locket, which snapped open to reveal a cornucopia of pharmaceutical delights. This little black pill is oblivion. Can knock me out for a day or two. Should lose about a day of memory. I'll forget all about you, brave little musketeer. Also, that incredibly boring conversation I had with Madame Pinkin over this, this evening. So win-win. She preened a little, looking delighted with herself. Winter will never see what we talked about here today. Dana didn't correct Buck about being a musketeer. She liked the assumption. She reached out to close the locket before the Duchess got too enthusiastic about popping pills. Let's get that credit line and travel pass sorted out first, yes? And this last request was deeply embarrassing, but she had to ask. I think I might need to borrow a frock. Two days later, a woman whose travel pass named her as Alex Charlemagne waited impatiently on the platform to catch the bullet train from Liberté to Argarine. She'd spent most of the day pacing up and down the sales floor of a high-end electro-jewellery emporium, which was so exclusive it didn't even have a name. An elderly, self-described genius called Mr. Emile took seven full hours to blast-cut and engrave two diamond studs to match the others on the prince consort's coat. They had decided to fill the studs with ancient opera tracks, cave paintings and century-old social media memes to complement the content of the other studs that were apparently stocked with the Culture Bank of Honour. Emile's work was excellent.
and it would pass. But Dana was pretty sure she had lost ten years off her life waiting for the studs to be ready. The dress wasn't helping. Thanks to the over-enthusiasm of a drugged-up buck, Dana had come away from Villiers Manor with a suitcase full of frocks, shoes, baubles, and even a cosmetic wand, which made her feel like an alien playing dress-up. But she needed to look as different as possible to Dana d'Artagnan. The fashion among new aristocrats on Valor was for retro glamour. Long, sweeping skirts and jewelled collars. Dana had come this close to putting a corset on under this particular travelling gown, but decided at the last moment that there was only so much internal outrage she could stomach. Athos might crack a smile if he could see her now, assuming he recognised her. The other two would be rolling on the floor. Dana had muttered enough about Porthos's vanity when it came to covering her pilot's buzz cut with elaborate wigs, that she was due for some ribbing of her own for this piece of gender performance. Alex Charlemagne had long black curls spiralling around her ears, a pearl choker wrapped around her throat, and a jade green gown, covering her from muscular shoulder to pearl-buttoned ankle boot. Dana had never dressed so femme in her life, and she felt like a complete idiot especially when she tangled the back of the gown in the automated doors and needed two of her fellow passengers and a conductor to help her free it without ripping. All she wanted to do after that was throw herself into the nearest seat and nurse her embarrassment quietly. But the conductor caught sight of her travel pass and waved her all along the length of the train to the first-class carriage. Cheers, Buck! The other occupants of the carriage were a white couple who were ignoring each other. The man had untidy brown hair, a rumpled business suit and a near-permanent frown. He leaned against the window with all his attention fixed to a gleaming chrome clamshell. Dana didn't dwell on him despite a vague sense of deja vu. Where had she seen him before? Perhaps there were celebrities like those yahoos in Buck's photo stream. The female passenger, who wore her auburn hair with pearl-clustered hairpins and actually did have a corset beneath her own tailored silk travelling gown, was delighted to see Dana. Finally, someone to gossip with, she exclaimed, all but clapping her hands with glee. I'm Bianca, Countess of Claric, and I just know we're going to be the best of friends. Dana considered it a personal triumph that she didn't turn tail and run immediately. Time to suck it up and become Alex Charlemagne, as convincingly as possible. Oh God, she might have to talk about shoes. Thanks for listening to Sheet Might Fly. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheet Might Fly. Find me on Facebook at Tansy RR Books. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.